Hello, and welcome to the Krupcast. I am Chris Meekness Fan. Underneath me today is that Trav guy. Hi, Trav. Hello. How you doing? Uh, I'm alive. I hope you are, too. Hey, I think I am. Uh, we also have Brody Rackrocks here with us. Say hi, Brody. Yeehaw! Eat my chicken. All right, thank you for coming to the podcast. Guys. We, we now have to acknowledge that the part of Brody tonight, visually in the video version, will be played by... Chester's chicken. I was going to not address it. <laughs> Moriarty is here with us too. Hi, Moriarty. <laughs> hello, hello. Yes, it's been a, a wonderful week. I hope everybody enjoyed themselves. Um, I know mm. that Brody did because he's got chicken. And as uh, Leroy Jenkins once taught us, if you have chicken, you are automatically happy with whatever's going on. Well, now I have to confess because last time I put McNuggets on my my thing, I actually did have McNuggets I was eating, um, but I do not have Chester's chicken currently. Uh, That's really disappointing. Like, 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 I'm disappointed. It's unfortunate. It's disappointing. I had Dairy Queen earlier. Does that is that anything? No, no it's not the same. Is that thing anything? <laughs> About a meal you consumed? Why are you? Yeah. Moriarty, how are you? What are we doing here today? You're Very well. Uh, well, today we're going to be talking about competition in games from leaderboards to multiplayer. And we're going to kind of go across a whole bunch of different things from competitive viability. We're going to talk a little bit about the uh, the, the Overwatch League and, and some of the stuff going on there. Streaming, leaderboards themselves, multiplayer game design. It's going to be kind of a, a whole gambit. And I'm really excited about this one because I don't think there are any good answers to anything but we do have some very good people in this call who have some thoughts and so there's going to be a whole bunch of very very good thoughts and i think that one of the things we can start with is just what is competitive viability in games the concept of competitive viability so whether it be game balance or skill-based matchmaking accessibility with regards to newcomers versus experienced players all of that is competitive viability. So how do we measure competitive viability? And how do developers ensure that a fair playing field uh, while also providing the opportunities for skill growth? Chris, maybe you have the most interesting thoughts here because you don't really play competitive games. So I'm curious from sort of <laughs> the layman's point of view, what mm. do you consider competitive viability? Bro, he just called you lame. Are you going to take that sitting down? Uh, for one, I am sitting down. Two, it's true, so I can't really dispute it. Three, damn casual. Eh, you know, yeah, I don't play a lot of competitive games, and even in games where you compete with yourself for better times and scores, I don't know if I just haven't found one I like, or if my brain just isn't geared this way. But usually, I'm good enough just going through on like a normal mode and getting a score at the end of the level and going like, yeah, I did that. Not, not often do I feel the need to. So when Go you play a game it. like Street Fighter, you play the story mode. If I even play it, because my mind does not gear toward fighting games. So I guess if I was to answer what is competitive viability, I would say, oh, jeez, gosh, I feel <laughs> it seems like a hard metric. I feel like even on the developer end, I is there a course you take for that? Like, do you just play a lot of games <laughs> and go, this is good. Let's do something like that throw it out there and fine tune based on your player base like how do you can you even get the player base i don't know if there's a good definition for competitive viability that i can provide other than people want to play your game now i would say just knowing you 
it's fair to call you a completionist. You tend to like being a hundred percenter. With that, would that not be somewhat competitive? Trying to reach that that hundred percent, even though the cap is the same across everybody, right? Like everybody can only reach a hundred percent. Reaching that is the goal. It is something of one, I guess. In my view, it was from the perspective of oh, I am competing against someone else, right? Like I'm comparing, say, my 100% time to someone else's 100% time, or in the case of like trophies or achievements, it's like I got here before Brody did or Kevin did or whoever, right? So I guess in that sense, um, there have been times where I've soft raced people to 100% in games. So I guess in that sense, I have done it, but it's not something I particularly really enjoy. Understood. Yeah. So, Trav, you're a bit more competitive. You've (laughs) played these sort of multiplayer games quite a bit. How would you describe competitive viability? Um, like for myself, or just in general? I the the phrasing is throwing me off. What do you mean? (laughs) Yes, your personal (laughs) definition of of competitive viability. Um. So, I, I'm not really too competitive these days. Um, the only, like, multiplayer game that I even play that's remotely competitive is, like, Smash Brothers and Team Fortress 2, which isn't really competitive at all anymore. Um, you mean but you I, don't I used play to it be... competitively, right? Right, the not game really. itself is competitive, obviously, because it's two um, teams. Yeah, Yeah. I, I'm not, like, a tryhard... Well, okay, tryhard is a little bit dismissive. Um, I don't really care about, like, learning the metas and all that stuff. I just try to have fun with the game itself. Um, which I, I know that sounds like a, uh, cop-out, but, uh, it's true. Like, once you get into, like, alright, well, here in this move in Smash Brothers, you have a two-frame window. The second that becomes more than just, like, interesting trivia for me is when you start to lose me. Um... That said, I still, you know, just kind of from childhood history of growing up with, like, Smash Brothers and um, more movement arcade style shooters, which Team Fortress only kind of falls into, um, I, I kind of just go with what I've learned from myself. Like, I, I don't really care enough to learn the metas of it, which is one of the reasons I kind of gave up on Counter-Strike way back in the day. Um, Counter-Strike, of course, is... Yeah, Counter-Strike is very important with the meta, right? Because if you use the wrong weapon in Counter-Strike, uh, oh, yeah. you, you are hurting your team. So it's important like, I didn't that mind it right if thing. I had, like, a friend with me who kind of coached me, like, alright, make sure you have this weapon by this point. Uh, but if I, if I did uh, competitive, or even casual, because people in CSGO are insane, um... Like, it would be, uh, like, I would get fucking vote kicked because I picked the wrong weapon. <laughs> that kind of stuff. It sounds like um, you're like me in that you kind of like to just stay in the zone of this is an enjoyment thing. And the second your options start filtering down to I have to do this with this specific thing at this specific time in a specific game. Where it's more of like, not routine, but just like you don't have the option to really just go in and experiment and just have 
fun, I guess is kind yeah. of where it starts. And so I guess with like with Smash way. Brothers, especially Ultimate, like Ultimate lets you fucking play it frame by frame, and that's awesome. I love that. Uh, in the training mode, I should say, uh, like that—that mm. that is probably the closest I got to like a deep analytical um, way of looking at competitive gaming for myself. Um, but once you like with other games that don't have that kind of information so easily available or uh, readily available, holy crap! Um, it's uh, not totally worth my time, but I'll still participate. So, so Brody, I like it from a hobbyist perspective. Okay, that's well finished my thought. Understood. Brody, you're maybe the one that I'm not sure the most of. What's your definition of competitive viability? Well, I I play a lot of multiplayer games, like but I I I do play them from like the perspective of you know, I just want to hang out with friends. I want an excuse to voice chat with them. Let's get on, let's do something, let's have some common ground. Let's play Rainbow Six Siege and like talk about Ugh. You know how how <laughs> the our teammates suck, and because they try to team kill us because we we pick their character or whatever. Mm. But uh, you know, like I I I'm not like I don't know I I'm not someone who plays ranked like all the time. But you know, it's fun to kind of go in there and maybe play like a sweaty match or two, and then return to casual and just be like, let's let's have fun with with the game. Um, a but sweaty I would, I would, match. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I would say that I, I'm actually more competitive in uh, single-player games uh, with with leaderboards if specifically they have a friends-list leaderboard, and I know that like a lot of my friends are playing it. So the the biggest example of that that I can I can think of in, in recent years is Mario Odyssey has those like Koopa races in, in oh, each of yeah. the worlds. Yeah, and and I had so many friends playing that game. And it was genuinely so fun to, like, use that move set to try to figure out, like, different shortcuts and things. And I, you know, like, you could probably look it up and find, like, an ideal route. But, like, none of, we all had this, like, pact to not do that. So we would all, like, keep going and seeing, like, shaving off, like, you know, a millisecond. And then all of a sudden someone would shave off, shave off like, three whole seconds. We're like, okay, where, what, what skip did they do? Where did they do that? Yeah. And it was, like, this crowdsourced mini speed run within the friend group kind of thing. That was a lot of fun. Like, there's... That's like, like that, that kind of healthy competition to just, you know, be fun. But it is, again, it, it's it, it's also kind of in that thing of, like, playing with friends. Like, I don't care to to be, like, super competitive outside of, you know, doing doing fun stuff with friends. Um, you know, I pick Junkrat and Overwatch because I don't have to aim. Like, that's where I'm at. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that's a question maybe of skill, right? Like... <laughs> Not so much. Well, I mean, if he's really good at like you know projectiles, I forgot what they were called. Like, I mean, you know, there's a market for that. No, Junkrat's an incredible. He's absolutely S tier, but it's just a question of like why you're choosing him. If it's because you can't aim, right? Like, that's a whole different thing. (laughs) (laughs) Not because I can't, because I don't have to. Understood. Mm. Understood. Uh, Because I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Totally fair. Myself, I come from a much more competitive standpoint. I was in the CPL. I have done, you know, uh, top rank CSGO stuff. Uh, I host a weekly CSGO game night still where some uh, pro players will show up. And, um, you know, I've got uh, a lot of very, very high skill friends that I play these games with. Um, I'm often 
in the trials and betas of all these sort of very, very sweaty uh, uh, FPS games getting, you know, sweaty heavy on it. Uh, so, like, you know, we, we've got a pretty good uh, um, swath of experience here. And I, I think perhaps competitive viability is one of those, what do you call it, right? Like, how do you define it? How do you measure it? Uh, how do you make a fair playing field? And more importantly, I think this is my my thing, right, with regards to competitive viability, is the concept of the burden of knowledge in games, where complexity can deter a newcomer, right? And uh, uh, if you don't have it there, though, then y you may have this barrier to competitive viability. So I tend to really enjoy games where the player gets better versus the character getting better. So like um, Call of Duty having the the streaks, the kill streaks. I'm not a big fan of that because they feel like they're recursive. Uh, somebody who gets 10 kills gets 10 more kills automatically, and that's not super good. Versus a game like CSGO where everybody has the same weapons immediately. You know, you've all got the same guns and you can all get the same guns. And all you have to do is just be better than the other player. And so you yourself will over time become better well, you know that, what that takes me back to go, go, yes what does it take uh, you back to that takes me back to the, my very short time of obsessing over quake competitively yeah mm. right you know learning how to do your rocket uh, jumps perfectly and and learning all of the different weapons and understanding the maps really well and knowing yeah. the loop so that you can get through the arena in, in the most uh, effective way and always making sure that you have a quad kill or whatever, you know, yes, all that stuff is, is super in there and is super uh, cool. And I, I really enjoy that. And I, I blame a little bit of that on uh, a guy called fatality who I, I was obsessive with for a while. He was the very first um, esports personality who won, a, I think a hundred thousand dollars in uh, uh, boy, hell rate, hell, hell. Oh God. Why can't I remember it now? can't remember the name of the game. But it was one of the big um, competitive esports games for a while there, uh, back in the day. And we're seeing sort of like how esports has changed over time. Um, you mentioned Overwatch. I do want to talk about that a little bit because I think it's fascinating. We won't probably get too deep into it, but the the game itself is a really good example of maybe how not to do uh, competitive in any sort of games because they forced it, right? Like they forced competitive. They made it a competitive game. We're making an esports game and it has failed. And there's maybe the question of whether or not it's the sequel that failed it because they changed the meta of the game from six players to five players without anything else. Just that. Just, right. hey, now there's only five. Um, and they changed absolutely nothing else in the game. So the meta. Uh, uh, was altered without adding any value, right? But the competition side in it and demanding to have competition has ended where this past week uh, they offered the every team uh, three or six million dollars, I can't remember which one, to not sign up for Overwatch League again, to Holy go independent. Just crap, here's six really? million dollars if you do not sign up again. Uh, and they also fired some 75% of their staff, right? Just, there you go. It's they gone. is in, who specifically? Uh, Overwatch League. So okay. Activision Blizzard fired 75% of the 
Activision Blizzard Overwatch League esports staff and offered the teams of which there's like 20, I don't know, 20, like 30, whatever, $6 million each. Yeah. So just don't come back anymore. Don't be here. Don't be a part of this. And here's $6 million. And uh, it's really hard to imagine, like, as a league that's been losing money, right? Because Overwatch League has not been making, it's not been profitable uh, for the last year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, as a team, look at that and not take the $6 million? So, like, that's a league that's dead now. And I'm curious how you feel about putting forced mandatory esports, right? And 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 looking when you're building a game, brand new game, it's just come out and hey, this is an esports game first and foremost, versus doing something uh that that is more homegrown like TF2, which, you know, yes, uh, obviously the it game was built issues, but the game was built by Valve to be a competitive game, but it didn't have esports built into it at first. Trash. Well, Overwatch. Oh, or, or, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, wait. Hold on. What's Brody going to say? <laughs> well, no, Overwatch is an interesting one because I feel like that's an example. Even early on, even I think before Overwatch League existed, uh, we were seeing balancing changes made to that game uh, for characters that were like skewed to the highest level of play. So, like it, it, it made it more balanced at the highest level of play, but then it ended up screwing over like casual players. Like one of the one of the first ones was. Um, What's he called now? The cowboy that you're not supposed to say. Oh, Cassidy. Cassidy. Okay, yeah. So he one of his first things was was like they reduced his damage at a certain range or something. I I don't remember exactly what it was, but basically Mm. it it was to stop like people who could just hit scan insta kill headshot from like a mile away. And what ended up happening was, yeah, it, it helped balance it out at the higher levels but at the more casual levels it was like well this is char- this character is just not as as viable to play at that at that level anymore um and you and you saw those kind of changes all, all around in like the beginning of the Do you of remember um this is around when I stopped playing Overwatch do you remember when they I want to say they gave they buffed Mercy in some way um that let her just I don't know if it was like they let her revive people now or something like that, like they, fully they, res them. I think they took away team res and gave like individual res or something like that. Mm. Something like that. This sounds familiar. I don't remember what it is, but I do remember something like this happening. Yeah. I, I think Roadhog had a similar thing. It, it was a game I played for a while just because I had a friend who would play it. It was a very weird game to start up as when you're the the friend being brought into a game right like you're hit over the head with so much in that game if you're not familiar with first person shooters like i was at the time and it, it it's weird and i give all these things in the home menu like i was playing around an overwatch league thing happening so the screen title screen and all the unlocks are hitting you with like overwatch yeah. league branding and unlocks and it's just, i guess to go back to what you were asking moriarty like it's a little intimidating when a game launches as an esports thing, this is probably just a me thing, but it feels like there's a weird pressure to perform kind of thing. Like you have to know what you're doing. Like if you go in there and you don't know the game yet, you're kind of wasting everyone's time to a degree, um, especially on Overwatch back then, which was a six person game, right? Like when I was playing with my friend, we'd match up with four random people and that's like four random ass human individuals on this planet i'm disappointing with every game as i try to pick up the (laughs) skills and the lingo uh optimal things like which character do i like you know it's it's a lot 
Yeah, and as somebody who did play Overwatch when it first came out and and throughout kind of the early period of time before competitive existed, it also Mm -hmm. changed the meta of it in terms of um, uh, how we as players approached it. Because for a while there, it was, yeah, go ahead and play everything. And I, I think maybe the idea behind Overwatch has been lost, which is that you would constantly be shifting your heroes to address the constant shift of heroes from the other team. They were Mm -hmm. never meant to be perfectly balanced, uh, permanent creations, like characters that you're going to go through through the whole game with. You would pick one, and then that would be weak to this thing, so the enemy team would pick the the rock, paper, scissors that would beat your widow, and and so on. Um, And that kind of disappeared in sort of search of this perfect... um, perfectly balancedness, right? And, and that wasn't really the thing. So when competitive came out, everybody stopped experimenting, much in the same way that when a new map comes out in CSGO or uh, a new um, sort of weapon event, whatever, in these games where you can choose what you're going to do, everybody avoids it, right? Everybody will, uh, w- when the new Valorant map comes out, everybody will duck those maps because they don't want to play a new map that they're not comfortable with. Um, and, and that happened in, in Overwatch where everybody was going, no, I'm not going to try the new hero. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that because if I do, I'm affecting myself. I'm affecting my stats. I'm affecting my rank. I can't go play with people because they want to play ranked mode. And if I go play with my friends in ranked mode, I'm going to be bad. So I'm going to hurt my team. Mm-hmm. And you get this sort of stratification and stagnation where you're just choosing the same old thing every day. And I think maybe one of the most fascinating sort of anecdotes about that happening is in CSGO, which, you know, is arguably the most premier uh, um, competitive experience out there, right? Like yeah. maybe League of Legends is, is up there as well, but CSGO has been out. In terms of like first person esports, it's probably yeah. the biggest. It's been out forever. You know, it's been out for like 18 years or something like that. And people have been playing it for 18 years and it's basically never changed. And uh, a year or two ago, they finally realized that the SG553 is the best gun in the game because nobody was willing to use it. (laughs) Dude, that was like legit my go-to gun since the beginning. And they weren't willing to use it. And it turned out that it was incredible. It was completely overpowered and entirely broken. And it had been for a while. (laughs) Uh, and it just wasn't like nobody. If was I recall, that was the um, uh, was that the one with like the scope that like, yeah the cod fire? gun yeah yeah yep I'm looking mm-hmm. it up right now. This was the uh, that was for the terrorist side. Uh, Twitch don't ban. Um, yeah no though um, those guns that and the aug um, for the CT side um, like those were my go to weapons. <laughs> And I would always, like, I remember getting, like, yelled at in chat because, like, oh, fake skill, you're using yep. <laughs> you're using this gun because yes. uh, it's not fair because it has a scope. That's not why it's unfair. Um, it's unfair because even hip-fired, it's still super accurate. Yes, mm-hmm. that's the thing. Um, it is actually, at one point, they did nerf it eventually, but it was the most accurate and, and uh, it had a 100% penetration. So armor was meaningless, right? Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which maybe serves as a good moment to kind of go on to leaderboards a little bit. So you brought them up 
uh, Brody, how do you feel that social media integration has affected competition? What are maybe the risks and downsides of that? The the gamification of social media with uh, not necessarily 100% social media, but it's definitely there in leaderboards, right? Um, how can you how do you feel that that can help imp- amplify the competitive aspects of games, but also the risk of turning gaming into a popularity contest? Yeah, well, you just you just made me thought think of like a, a, a quite, almost a weird example for this because I, I can't say that personally I've seen a lot of like leaderboard specific. I'm sure there are like obviously speedrunners and and things like that. But you made me think of like when Animal Crossing New Horizons came out and everyone was like showing off their towns and like you doing like trades online for villagers and items and it created this almost like this this effect of like well i don't want to i don't want to show my town on because it's not it's not as good it's not doesn't look as cool as theirs like i don't have all the stuff i haven't put in the time and it it, i I genuinely remember people talking about like how it was demoralizing them from from playing the game to see all of these people so ahead um you know whether whether they time traveled or 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 not but like yeah I, i don't know it's i would say man I want to clarify that I do think that when you're talking about social media, right, your friends list is a social media. It may not be as prevalent. It's not Facebook. It's not Twitter. But that friends list, that trophy list, being able to see, you know, in some games, I know um, that you'll be playing and it'll say so-and-so has completed this, this challenge, right, as you're playing. And uh, that is absolutely social media, even if we're oh. not necessarily thinking of it that way. Yeah, that's true. Back when um, back when the PlayStation Five first dropped and uh, the Sackboy game came out, they had these like little time trial challenge runs you could do. And I remember getting notifications from my friends list of like, oh, you know, so and so just beat your time, and I was like, no, I had the best time. I'm going back in there because I think I had a world record time on one of them, and I was like, you can't beat me on that. That's illegal. Uh, you know so what it, I did that with back in the day? I'm doing this again. I did that with Sonic Generations. Oh, yeah. the 30 second yeah. act trial thing? Mm. Yep. Yeah, no. I love that. I was toying with bringing that up, but I didn't want to bring Sonic up on this podcast for the millionth no, time. No, it's okay. It's me. I, uh, yeah. I, I notoriously hate Sonic, so it's cool. That was one of the few times I really did get into a competitive thing with friends, because if you don't know, basically it's just a hard timer of 30 seconds on each stage in Sonic Generations. And it is get as far as you can in 30 seconds, and you'll see a little signpost for how far your friends got in that time period. And it's weirdly genius, and they've never gone back and done it again. But that was actually yeah, a lot was of fun. Yeah, it was super fun. I, I miss it. Yeah. That was maybe the first time where I was like, oh, well, I'm not good at competitive stuff, and I don't really get it still, but this feels good. This I like. And Sonic is a prime series, like with the with not only <laughs> times but also score. Like that's a that's a perfect series to have that kind of thing in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you feel then about maybe games that are not intended to be uh, competitive, but they shoehorn in a competitive mode? And I think the one that I'm going to think of here is the Ubisoft games. So the Division, which has its uh, dark zone mode or uh, Assassin's Creed, which has its uh, uh, multiplayer, whatever, where those tend to be also competitive and maybe also mixed in with the single player game. 
Mm, like, are you Chris? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, are you talking about like those those tacked on multiplayer modes that we'd see in like the PS3 era, where every game just had to have a multiplayer mode? Right, but the ones where those are tied in with the leaderboards effects, or maybe they have, uh, in the case of like the division, it is a competitive uh, sort of experience. Um, maybe the most relevant one today would be Diablo 4, which has sudden PvP areas that you're wandering into. Um, things where you're playing through what is clearly a non-competitive game, and then they're adding in competition. Ooh. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know I that I can... I cannot think of anything. Well, my my you... immediate thought is, like, Dark Souls. Same. That's where I was going to go. Yeah, exactly. Was was just randomly running into, like, a, a another player. Like, with Dark Souls, or Souls in general, um, I I mean, I never saw it as competitive, but there is, like, competitive PvP. Uh, there There is that element of, you know, you're taking the risk of juvenating yourself with, like, the, the humanity or whatever, and that opens yourself up to human invaders. And I, I, I like that idea, and I think that there is an argument to be made that that is competitive in some way. Um... Not in the traditional sense that we're talking about, though. Mm. Um, well, there, but, there was uh, even a, a case in Elden Ring where uh, there there was a, a specific weapon, um, the moon. I think it's the Moonlight Holy Sword or something like that. I, I don't know. Sure. Um, no, no, sorry, that's Bloodborne. It's the Sword of Night and Flame, which was like this instant. Like if you build right, it's this instant boss killer. It completely destroys uh, in PvP, and they actually went in uh, and nerfed it. Which is strange to think for like a largely single player experience um, to nerf yeah. something where you know it, it it did make the game easy, um, so you know you kind of have to avoid it on principle if you want more of a challenge. But like for the players that did kind of want that that easy button, th that got taken away um, because of at least presumably because of PvP. I guess it, it could have been taken away because it just did make the single player too easy as well. But I don't know. I, I, it's strange the idea of of nerfing something just for for that purpose alone i don't know how i feel about that i kind of don't like that actually <laughs> well, that, borderlands, that feels very weird yeah well borderlands 3 did a, did a similar thing i i don't i i don't know one of the characters had a nerf and like i think technically there's pvp in those games but nobody ever like you like you might with your friend be like haha i'm gonna knife you knife me back let's fight for two seconds uh but that's that's the extent of, of the PvP in those games. Uh, so it mm -hmm. was it was genuinely nerfed uh, because the build was, I guess, just too too powerful. And they were like, well, people are beating the game too easily. And, you know, they have to keep playing it to replay bosses and stuff. And we make it too easy, they'll do it too fast. And I'm like, man, there's like duplication glitches and shit in I this think game. It, yeah, something, I mean, that feels like a topic for a completely different podcast. But I, I, I feel like something like that is more dependent on how easy it is to perform those kind of bugs and exploits. Um, and there's this, just a point where it's like, if this is already really hard to pull off and the average person isn't going to do this, why bother? Mm. There does tend to be, I think, amongst developers a over-reliance on uh, gearing towards the, the most active and the hardest core players where you're playing, you're taking the professionals and you're, you're really sort of uh, balancing around them. And maybe that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But you're absolutely right that I'm not sure it's perfect for this. Chris, 
So gamer score and similar similar achievement systems like the the trophies and whatever they not only reflect player skill but also commitment potentially skewing our perception of competition towards quantity over quality. How effective do you think gamer score is in driving competition? It's an interesting question. If you'd asked me this, maybe. 10, 11, 12 years ago, right? Back when, like, Stallion 83 was racing to 1 million and there were other people trying to go that high. Um, what the I, fuck I, are you talking about? <laughs> there's next no, th- this, is, this is way before my time. Yeah, no, er- early on. I forget when he hit a million gamer score, but there was a guy whose Xbox name was Stallion 83 who I think was the first to hit a million, but... Um, yeah, and he got life lifelong Xbox uh, Live, and then they changed that to Game Pass, so he has just <laughs> lifelong Xbox Game Pass forever. Yeah, Crazy. yeah, and I remember like you'd hear about it, like he was some kind of like not like an athlete per se sometimes, but even like out in nowhere in the non Xbox community, I'd hear like, "Hey, this guy called Stallion eighty three going for a million gamer score. He wants to be the first. It felt like you were hearing about the golden ticket in Willy Wonka or something, right? And say, like, "Hey, you know, <laughs> something like that." Um, so back then, it, I feel like it, it, gamer score just mattered more in general in the first few years after it introduced, right? Like, I was into it. I liked it just to see how far I got into a game. I liked looking at my friends to see, like, their journey, I guess you would say. Like, to see how far they got, if they did any of the weird, esoteric, annoying uh, <laughs> achievements games would often give. These days, I would say... it. At least for me, maybe for other people it does, but for me it doesn't really drive any kind of competition. Like maybe once in a while, like Kevin and I, you know, the Golden Bull will talk about like a Yakuza. No way, you know the Golden Bull from YouTube? <laughs> no, he's just my boss. But we'll talk about a Yakuza trophy <laughs> set and you know, talk about how far we got, um who platinumed it, who didn't, right? But these days, eh, no. And that's without even getting into like a Steam achievements, which I think you can just open up a program and hit unlock all, and then you just have them. <laughs> yep, <laughs> you, you can do that on Steam. Yes. Um, so uh, maybe Brody, then, how do you feel about the balance between time commitment and skill with regards to achievement-based competition? Uh, well, I, I I have direct experience with this because uh, back when I first got my my PlayStation Three and was sort of introduced to these systems to begin with. Um, you know, I would meet the odd person online and, and add them for whatever reason. And then, you know, I would notice they have like 30 platinum trophies or something. And I'm like, man, that's insane. I don't even have one. And then, you know, I get my first one or my second one. And I'm like, oh, that was pretty cool. I probably won't do that like a lot. You know, smash cut to a few years in, I have, you know, over 40 or something because it just became, you know, it did kind of cement in my mind as this mark of, uh how much of a real yeah. gamer you are bro well, well not not even that so much as this oh i really like this specific game i'm going mm. to do it the justice it deserves and you know get the platinum and and you know with one of my friends who i am who di- i did have these more competitive streaks with like uh he was a big competitor with me when we were doing the the, the odyssey races uh we had a whole trials fusion feud going on for a while when that came out um mm. it was okay who, who's gonna like keep up who's gonna have more platinums like you know at one point like i had more platinums but he had more like trophy level which is sort of like the the more um 
the rarer it's the, the weird analog to the number the raw yeah. score number yeah yeah exactly yeah so it was like this you know who's winning kind of thing and so we would just try to always keep like there's like three different stats that we tried to keep higher than than one another eventually you know i just sort of burnt out and it was just like okay well i'm, I'm only gonna really platinum a game if like i really like it it's easy enough whatever meanwhile he's still i think he's i think he's over a hundred platinums now or he's close or something like something like that like he's he's ridiculously close he's he's he just keeps going if he likes a game he he goes for it even if it's like a ridiculous time sink i think he platinumed rayman legends and like that game you have to like sign on to do like dailies of this like roguelike mode or, or something or other uh right. and you have to be you have to be like first in the world to get like enough points each week to actually like viably get this platinum trophy um and he was he just went insane with it he went with it and he ran with it so eventually he was just so far ahead i was like well i'm not catching up man like you do you you have fun with it that's at least bragging rights there but i'm curious about i want to interject real quick did any of this happen during the weird era of PlayStation games that would come out that was just like, it's an easy platinum, poke the turtle 600 times, or... No, we, I mean, honestly, I think... Be the game, you know. I think we avoided those, because it was like, no, we want... I mean, don't get me wrong, uh, my 10th platinum, which is cemented forever on PSM profiles, is uh, Phineas and Ferb across the second dimension, which I just got, because I played that game, I was like, okay, well, I guess this is easy enough, I can, I can do it. Um, but generally speaking, I tried, um, I tried to, I tried to keep it to games that I was at least like, yeah, I want to, I want to do this. I have a drive to actually to do this. He, uh, him on the other hand might have a couple, uh, my name is Mayo or whatever those games are. That's what Um, I was thinking of. Yeah. 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 He might, he might have a few of those, but I don't think I would say that that's maybe, you know, you could count on your hand how many there'd be there. Out of a hundred, which so he's still he's still beating me by a wide margin, even if we subtract him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it did it did for at least for a time instill this sort of like competition, and and you know what's cool about it is it's competition in between any game, right? Like it's just any game you pick up and play. You know, can you get the platinum trophy on it? Can you add that to your your trophy level? Um, you don't have to both pick up Trials Fusion to engage in that sort of competition, which is cool. So, Trav, how do you think the streaming influence the competitive nature of games? Oh, completely fucking ruined it. Are streamers (laughs) themselves part of the competitive landscape? Yeah, to a degree. Um, I I think, well, I mean, uh, assuming we're talking about competitive streamers, yeah. Um, I think, uh, I think that Competitive streamers uh, work as great marketing for games in general because it's just really fucking entertaining. Sorry, I I didn't even realize I burped until after. Um, I, until after... Uh, no, that was the wrong thought. Um, what the fuck was I saying? Right, right, right. No. Um, I think that uh, it's a good sort of like... It, it makes the competitive scene more social with streaming. Um, I'm not sure if that's the kind of answer that you're looking for, but I think that that kind of, like, creating a community with streaming of competitive games uh, can sometimes be a net positive. Uh, I I say sometimes just because, like, the, the Smash competitive community online from streaming got 
really fucking toxic, so I'm a little bit uh, iffy on that. But uh, I, I think that there's a good... Um, there's a good silver lining to it, I guess. Streamers Spe are certainly helpful in maybe creating an audience for competitive play in some of these games and helping build the people who want to be a part of that. I know that, you know, we're going to go back to CSGO a few times here, but um, every time there's a CSGO major, immediately people are hopping in after watching it and playing CSGO because they yeah. want to be able to replicate those moments. Uh, they want to be able to create... Because it's exciting. It's fun. Yes. yes. How many people played when... Fortnite because of the uh, Ninja Drake stream? And all the ninja streams in general, honestly. I mean, probably a lot, as much as I want to make fun of them. Yeah. Sure. What about you, Chris? Have you ever felt the pull of uh, competition after watching a streamer? I don't watch a lot of streams in the first place, if I'm being honest. Um, I've been influenced to play competitive games from content online, but not necessarily because of like a competitive streamer or anything like that. I have a weird <laughs> feeling Brody good. has. Uh, no, I, I don't know that like in, in that direct way, but like sometimes mm. you'll, you know, you might. Brody, you're supposed to go with the fit. I was hot potatoing. Right. That was yeah. so hard. I was yeah. like, Brody, yeah. Yeah. This. No. yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. Well, I, okay, all right. Let's try. Let's try. Let's try this. Which is, um, I think occasionally I will see uh, a speedrunner playing a mm. game and and doing something. You know, I I don't really not so much the you know the no clips and the glitches and stuff, but just playing at a level of of just mastery of the game mechanics to to that extent sometimes will make me want to go in and you know like whether it's someone doing like an odyssey run or whatever I'm like oh wow i didn't even know you could you could do that move um or or i got whatever. one i can relate to the weird double jump in spyro 2 the first time you saw someone do yeah. that you're like oh okay that breaks I that game <laughs> yeah, I didn't do that until I've played that game every year of my life. And I didn't do yeah. I didn't know about that till like 2018 when I like joined the the Spyro Discord for like a brief time where it was like and you know, there was there was different Spyro speedrunners there that would talk about that. And I'm like, why well, I, I had no idea. And it was yeah. like going back into that game and and using that like that exploit was like, oh wow, I can play this game in a way that like I've never played it before. That's that's really cool. Um I don't know. That's that's basically all I would have to say. But I, I do think the speedrunning aspect of things is cool. I will never do it because the idea of speedrunning, like the idea of playing a game at that level of mastery, uh, you know, for like an individual level, like if I'm playing Crash Insane Trilogy, sure, I'll do that. I'll go for the Platinum Relic if I'm feeling insane that day. But to do it on a at a whole game's scale, like even if it's just a 30 minute run, like I, I don't have that in me. I get mad after I screw up on a, you know, two seconds in a four minute level. You mentioned briefly, uh, and, and this is a little bit further back, people getting things in games because they were the first ones to do it. How do you feel about things where certain players are getting uh, items that are impossible for other players? So, for example, in World of Warcraft, if you open the on Kiraj dungeon, which is a massive server-wide thing that requires a lot of people to put together a lot of time in order to be able to do it. Uh, think like the um, the Splatoon type of events where it takes the whole community to get something done. Right? Uh, right. Uh, 
And then the person, the one individual who finally slots the key in, uh, they get a special mount. And they're the only one on the entire server who gets that mount ever. How do you oh. feel about that? Hmm. I feel it's really funny because uh, I, I guess not. it's not a one person thing, but I have a friend who uh, when in high school, he went to go teach a computer class of like grade schoolers, got them to all uh, log in. They got them to log into uh, RuneScape at the time where the Santa hats were available. Uh, and, and they just had all of these grade schoolers who didn't know the value of that or what it would become to send them Santa hats. So they had like 26 of them. It's like the rarest, most valuable item in the game. Mm. They they just have them now. Uh, it's they just they just scammed uh, the entire class. That's that's about all I have to say on that subject, Chris. I have a pretty immense um, sense of FOMO when it comes to these things, right? Like um, as a very casual Apex Legends player, not competitive, I would say it's just a way to hang out, like you mentioned earlier, just to clear that one up, but. Um, there was a time where I would feel compelled to go ahead and do the battle passes because I wanted to get all the items because it felt a bad if I didn't get all the items if I technically paid for it and didn't get them, but b like I just had a weird mental block where it was like if I don't get the items I can never get the items right, and that was a weird thing that took me maybe three years to get over in that game. So I have a very complicated thing where I'm like, oh man, I hate to miss anything, but at the same time. It does feel very cool to have something other people don't have in a game, so I can guess I can see both ends of it. If I were to able to shift my mindset on this at will, I guess I would say I would go to thinking it is great that limited items can exist and there are just some items people can never get. That specific WoW example sounds incredibly devious. <laughs> if only one person out of everyone who contributes gets the item, I feel like you would get a lot of infighting that way but i'm sure as an outsider it'd be funny to watch so i guess my feelings are a little complicated i feel like it's a very neat thing but also it must be a very frustrating thing at the same time i was um, corrected by our chat uh we do do this live on on twitch and you can come and watch it live on twitch or you can watch it as you're watching it now on one of the many audio or the uh, edited YouTube version, but uh, I was corrected that it was given to everybody who was able to complete this. And again, it was a very long quest chain that involved a lot of resources, but anyone who was able to complete it within 10 hours. So uh, the number of people who oh. completed per server was about uh, five to 10 people. So it was still incredibly limited, essentially one person getting it, but just to be clear so that we don't get angry comments later that's a uh, bit better i thought it was literally the person who <laughs> well i mean you might thing, only get one but... person per per guild who's able to do it yeah uh, it, it was definitely a a thing that was very very rare um mm. so talking a little bit more about leaderboards leaderboards have traditionally been very static right mm. they've just been here's whatever whoever did whatever uh they tend to be in newer games evolving to include more dynamic elements such as seasonal resets or decay rates so somebody who gets to the top if they're not constantly going at the top uh they don't get that number 1 rank and there's no longer this sort of position of the unachievable guy with you know 50,000 score that you can never ever get do you think that this is changing the nature of competition and affecting maybe player engagement and competition over time? Absolutely. 
Um, like a uh, hundred. <laughs> Sorry, no, I was muted. I coughed like a minute ago, and I did not unmute. I actually said absolutely to that. Um, <laughs> there he is. I was like, yeah, I know Brody yeah. has something to say here, so I'm just going to. Yeah. No, don't worry. Uh, yeah, so that that same person um, that that has you know a hundred platinums or whatever uh, back last year. Uh, him, I, uh, another friend of ours, ours got us and another friend into uh, Marvel Snap, which mm-hmm. has a, a uh, sort of a ranking system where you, you like you gamble based on if you think you're going to win and you get more uh, points towards leveling up and everything. So there's this there's that element to it. But uh, between between the three of them, you know, they all like trading card games. I'm a little bit of a novice at them, so I knew that I was never going to going to climb. So I got to play it like casually. <laughs> they, oh, my God. Bless you, Trap. Um, they, Thanks. they had this sort of competition between the three of them, um, maybe unspoken cause they were, you know, they were cheering each other on, but it, it was like, who's going to make it to a hundred first? Like who's going to make it to infinity rank first. And every season, you know, you go down like three ranks or like, like three whole sets of ranks. So you go from fear and gold, you go back to, to iron or, or whatever. Um, and you know, I'm always an iron at the start cause I, I, I get to gold and then I and then I'm like, okay, well, this is where I'm at. I'm not gonna try harder than this. Uh, but they were like, you know, they would get to like rank eighty or something, and then they would like, oh, it's the end of the season. I'm gonna go down. I gotta keep going. And but they just kept at it. They kept at it until uh, this this one friend got to infinity, and then all of a sudden there was almost like this sigh of relief of like, oh, okay, good job, you did it. Now you know we could get we could get there if we get there, but we don't have to like try as hard. Uh, but it kept their engagement to to the point where they were always on trying to get, you know, cards as, as fast as they could, because um, that game is a little bit stingy with cards after you've played for a while. Um, mm. like they, they, they must have insane, insane playtimes in that game because of that that ranking system. Did it make you want to get your rank higher? I mean, it, it made me... I don't know if it was seeing them do that so much as it was the game is just baby easy at the lower ranks so i was like i want to climb just so i can have fun doing the the puzzle aspect uh of this of this trading card game so i wanted to get to you know i I was happy landing wherever i landed like if i got stuck in gold then you know if that's where i belong at my skill level i'm fine with that as long as i'm playing matches that actually like entertain me uh and keep me engaged if i went higher than that great cool get you get like some rewards after you go to every rank like you might get like a variant or like a title or something like that yeah um yeah. you know so that's that's neat but i i wasn't incentivized to try to go for that 100 i was like i very early on was just like yeah that's not gonna happen and i can just you know enjoy this game without having to get sweaty about it i have a very biased view of leaderboards because for me for a long time every time i would go to a leaderboard in a game it would instantly take you to the number one spot right and it was always someone who hacked it the number was instantly like yep. bogus and instantly like, all right, well, what's the point of trying to get up that high when that's just what you're going to meet at the end, right? Which I guess goes back to something you said near somewhere in this episode, Brody, about the friend leaderboard actually being way, way better. Because that's like actual people you know and actual uh, incentivizing things to try to beat them because then you can go have that conversation with them, right? And be like, hey, you know, it's like the Song of Generations thing. Like, I just fucked on your time. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> You know? Yeah, it's it's way more personal, um, and that just that keeps me a lot more engaged than 
trying to beat some guy who's no lifing even if it's not hacked like they're no lifing the game you're never going to beat them why try as opposed to your friends where it's like you know that like you're, you're just one two hour sweaty session of, of actually you know beating them by that millisecond <laughs> I, I i would like so chris you mentioned not understanding some of the lingo before i'm guessing i'm guessing this is the first one of the first times you've heard sweaty be used in a no, competitive no, I, sense I've- I've heard sweaty tonight was just a realization of like, oh, we're just accepting this as a society. We're just going to use it. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Long, long, long term, like long time standardized <laughs> yeah. term. Yeah. You're going oh. sweaty heavy. Sweaty okay. heavy. Absolutely. I've only like heard it in the last half year or so. So I was just sitting here like. No, yeah. this is, this is a thing. Yeah. Okay. This is I mean, a thing. You're going up against a bunch of sweaties. <laughs> it's apt. Yeah. I can't say it's you not. Know. It's, yeah. it's like when you're, you know, you're playing a game and you're leaned back and you're just having casual fun and then you get killed and you're like, all right, I'm going to sit up, get into my gamer stance and get sweaty. Let's go. <laughs> the gamer, gamer slouch has been cured. Uh, I have a question here that I've held on to because I suspect that Brody's going to get uh, violent. How Let's do go. you feel that hardware influences competition in gaming is there the disparities in gaming hardware from input devices uh, internet connections that can create an uneven playing field in competitive gaming so is there a level playing field with diverse hardware we had a conversation about this years ago i still remember that that was a that was a fun one hey look i'm pulling around full circle to make hashtag content yeah, that was, uh, I believe my stance was the, uh, I preferred uh, consoles in that sense because you did have a sort of standardized hardware and no one, no one could be on running on, on a better uh, platform than, than another person. Um, obviously, in, in the age of crossplay, that's a whole other can of worms, but assuming that you're, you know, you're on the consoles platform. Uh, uh, framework, you know, you were still, you know, a PS4 playing against a PS4, no one's going to have a, a frame rate, a frame tick advantage or, or whatever. Now, granted, internet speeds alone are enough to sort of dismantle that that argument entirely um, because everyone's mm-hmm. going to have a different internet speed. But if you're playing in a in a competitive sense, like if you're playing in, you know, Overwatch League or whatever, you uh, I do like they do play on standardized hardware, uh, if I'm not mistaken. They do, yeah. When you go in and you're doing, like, um, if you go into a major, they will bring in the computers. You can bring in, like, your own uh, keyboard and mouse or controller or whatever. But, like, you're playing on the same hardware, yeah. Yeah, and, so, and something cool that um, I, I'm really grateful for because it's it's just you need it uh, in the age of crossplay is the idea of um, keyboard and controller pools. So... You know, you might be playing on PS4, or PS5 crossplay with Xbox, but you're still playing in a pool of people using a controller versus, you know, as soon as you add one person in from PC, you're now playing with people using a keyboard and mouse. And that's a trade-off that you, you have to make if you want to play with your friend on PC. And that's that's totally fine. Uh, but if it was the standard, right, if anyone if it was always that, then it would be very hard because I think... Um, was it was it CS:GO or some other game before it that did crossplay back in the day um, when it came out? And it, it it was just it was because PC players just thrashed console players, understandably so, because it's it's just easier to aim a gun on a PC than it is with a with a control stick. Yeah, 
I don't remember the game you're talking about, but I know it's happened a couple of times where they've had these sort of pools. Uh, I think maybe the most famous current thing would be Fortnite, where you can play with, you know, a Nintendo Switch and a PC player and somebody on PlayStation say, uh, and Xbox. Wasn't that a thing with Halo Infinite? It could be. What? That would make sense. One I of can the, see that happening up. for Halo Infinite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can see them messing that up immediately. One of the funnier examples, I, I, I don't know if they've since fixed it. Um, I think they haven't, because I think my, my brother wanted to get a keyboard and mouse for it, which was uh, the PlayStation pool on Rainbow Six Siege uh, was controller pools, but you could hook up a keyboard and mouse to a PS4 and play mm. it that way, and you would be playing in a controller pool with a keyboard and mouse uh, and you would be able to absolutely just dominate. And that was like a that was a dominant strategy for a lot of people that were able to actually do that. Um, that was early on, like 2015, 2016, whenever it came out. I that game has crossplay now. I have to imagine they fixed it, but that it was funny at the time. You'd like to for, think at least. <laughs> just as like a random anecdote there as well, you still see that in the mobile gaming space where people will install an Android uh, emulator on their PC in order mm. to go and play PUBG Mobile, uh, which does feel cheaty. Yeah. No, it's absolutely. Not very is. fair. Yeah. So outside of that, how do you feel about uh, uh, diverse hardware with regards to, to competitive matchmaking? Is it fair to have somebody who's playing on a top-of-the-line computer uh, versus you on your laptop? Is that, is that competitively viable? I mean, I don't know that I would say fair, but at, at the current juncture, is there a way around it? Like, is there a way to ensure that... You well, know, these days, kind of. Um, now that uh, Gyro is becoming more popular, uh, Flickstick is happening more, which does give, uh, combined with Gyro, can give a uh, controller player viability comparable. Like, um, movement and aiming comparable to mouse and keyboard, which does level it a bit. Uh, but then, you know, we deal with games where it's like, there's 20 different freaking buttons that are so much easier to individually bind on PC, whereas controller players have to deal with shortcuts. Mm -hmm. yeah. I guess then my question would be, is it even important that it be fair? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I would it'd say be, it it'd should be nice. Be. Yeah, like it should be. But at the point, how do you help someone who has laptop that can barely run the game they want to play you know like mm. at the point maybe it starts i don't want to say it's on the person because like if you can't afford something better than like i don't want to be like hey screw you guy but there are there are limits to these things right i mean what, what do you do with there's, a point <laughs> there's been a long conversation between myself and brody uh with regards to whether or not you should have generations because it is uh, and I'm paraphrasing Brody's opinion here, but uh, Brody has said that he believes it is unfair to allow people to have newer and better games. <laughs> because well, that, that was five years ago <laughs> when I actually because still... he doesn't get them. <laughs> no, that was that was that was five oh years ago. Oh my god, you went, really are I the still, Nico of today. <laughs> I still cared about what I said, man. I've I've mellowed out since then. I don't give a shit anymore. Okay, but at that point, you did feel that it was unfair yeah, for well, other people to have better games than you do. Well, it was, it, it was one of those things where we, we were having a general conversation about, about generations, and I think, like, 
you know, one of the boons, right? Like one of the the many reasons I, I do prefer consoles. I wouldn't say it's the reason or even the chief reason or even close to it, but you do have a a platform parody that you know is does just mitigate that issue entirely. And I, you know, now I would say I don't care. I, it's fine. I you know, it's not a big deal. But also, you know, if you can have it, why not? Seeing the walls crumble ladies around. And gentlemen. What was oh. that? Sorry, they talk over you. You're seeing the walls crumble a little bit in some games like that, though. Like this has been a promised feature of Apex Legends for maybe since before the PS5 launch, and it hasn't happened. So who knows if we'll ever get it? But there was a point where they were saying that they would deliver a 120 frames per second mode in Apex Legends on the PS5 version, which does play with PS4 and Xbox and all that stuff. So if that did happen, that would be a weird case where playing on that console gives you a better advantage than playing on PS4, where it's usually 60 thereabouts. Yeah, but I mean, the game exists on Switch, too, so it's already an issue. Well, if you're playing on Switch, I think you're only playing against people on Switch. Yeah, I forget how that specific one handles it in that case. Yeah, That game has crossplay, doesn't it? It does. I don't think it does on Switch. Yeah, I don't oh. remember ever seeing like a Switch controller I, I could be wrong, menu. Uh, but I'm I'm pretty sure that if you're on Switch, you're only facing off against other Switchites. I'll Google. So I want you guys to think a little bit more about like Smash type games, uh, fighters, things like that, where updates will frequently affect the gameplay in a somewhat drastic way. You can have one player or one character who, who was previously bad. Uh, is great now, getting nerfs and things like that. How do you feel competitive uh, uh, games should adapt to the sort of frequent changes in game mechanics due to updates or maybe even DLCs where a DLC character comes out that you maybe don't have access to without paying for it? It does have crossplay. And how does that potentially uh, affect the fairness of competition? I think it's bad right out the gate to to limit any kind of gameplay behind a paywall. Like just this, like right out the gate is just like, what? why, why would you do that? I mean, I know why you would do that, m- money. But like, it's going to. I remember there was a a little little known PS3 game called Starhawk, which was a space spinoff sequel to Warhawk. Yeah. Um, where there were two like DL. I don't know if they were DLC characters or they were like. You know, it was, it was kind of like a tower defense almost kind of game, like multiplayer shooter, but with tower defense elements, almost like a MOBA. I, I don't know how to describe it, but there were two like vehicles or structures that you could build that you could only do if you had the DLC. And they were so overpowered that like they broke the entire game. And this was back before, you know, patching things and nerfing things was like a, like a super common practice. Like it existed, but it, they just kind of put the DLC in and, and let it go. Um, and you know, I don't know that that game had a long lifespan ahead of it before that anyway, but it certainly didn't after that. What about you, Chris? So if you, so if you didn't buy the building or the DLC that happened to include the buildings, you were just competitively disadvantaged in that That, game. that, That is how I have come to understand it. Yeah. I'm just trying to process that. I get it sometimes with like a, a smash Wii U, right? We're like. Bayonetta comes out, and if you don't buy a Bayonetta, well, I guess in that instance, you don't cheese with Bayonetta because you can still fight against Bayonetta, right? But I remember that being one that upset the meta of that game. 
and I it's one where like on paper I agree with Brody like I I think that maybe anything that good should maybe just be given to the player but I also understand the realities behind it right but I don't know I I personally I just think of things like uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe got a balance patch recently with its update which I think maybe didn't completely shift like all, everything with that game but it definitely shuffled who like the best characters to use in Mario Kart 8 Deluxe are which is an insane thing to say like 10 years after that game came out but it's now at a weird thing where some characters just aren't as good anymore and I almost go the other way around and I always think of like the kids who would play that and be like oh my character's not good anymore why why is my character not good anymore i can feel it's different right or even if you're not a kid you're just like why is my character bad now you know why can't my character do the thing it could last week and well realistically wonder, they'd probably just think why am i bad now why, why am i bad now it's true yeah i'm coming in that with an informed hypothetical i guess on their behalf but yeah i don't know it's something where, like, I know the game has to change over time, so obviously I can't sit here and be like, oh, it should never change, right? There is a weird tendency to nerf down instead of buff up in games mm -hmm. that yeah. I've never fully understood. Yeah, well, no, a, I, I agree. It's a common occurrence, right, that, like, a new character, whether, whether they're paid DLC or free or whatever, a new character comes out and they're insanely overpowered, and for that first week or two, everyone's playing them because they're overpowered, <laughs> And then they get nerfed right. to the level of, of everyone else, which is like, you know, that's probably easier than buffing the rest of the cast up to them. But I can also see like how it would be disappointing to be playing that character, especially if it's one that you paid money for and all of a sudden it's not as viable. But that's I think that's just another reason to avoid, you know, any kind of pay to win mechanics altogether. Like not that I like microtransactions or, or DLC or well, well, DLC, well, you know, whatever in moderation or whatever, but like. You know the, the 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 old adage. You know, keep it keep keep it cosmetic. If you're going to be paying for stuff in games, like make maps free, make characters free, all that stuff. Or you know, do it like Rainbow Six Siege, where you can kind of fast track your. I mean, not saying this is a good example. I don't like it that you can kind of just pay to fast track and get the characters. But like, there's very little reason to play most of the base game characters in Siege at this point because all of the other characters that have come out since have just completely outpaced them. Um, mm. Like if you look at uh, Castle or uh, Tachanka, Tachanka became a meme for a long oh, time because he was just so awful. Uh, I remember but, that. Yeah, but you, you play him to, you know, he, he became the Pichu, right? Like you play him to, to, to dunk on fools because you're beating them oh. with Tachanka. But Castle was like, he's just in this like very mid-tier kind of bad, like you don't play him anymore because why would you? His power isn't relevant to the to the game at that point. Um, and you know, the, the uh, other characters as they come five out Five years of Rainbow Six memories just came back to me like a Winter Soldier <laughs> moment. Fuck you. <laughs> I, I, I never want to see that game again. I, I fucking love that despise game. Should, Rainbow Six. We should we'll play, play it for the trap. Patreons. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. I think it has crossplay now, so we can. Um, ah! Yeah. So, Patreon.com slash crub, huh? Interesting. Just send it, yes, Patreon.com slash crub. <laughs> so how do you feel then about things like Valorant or Apex or League of Legends, which are hero-based games where those characters are hidden behind a paywall? And it is clear, even in a, a Rainbow Six Siege, right? It is clear that they 
affect the competitive viability of the game. It's what? strange. I can only speak on Apex, of course, because I've played way too much of that with um, Kevin and Justin, club members. It's a weird thing where the characters that give you an Apex for free are usually still pretty good. Like, you know, if you're Bloodhound who can track enemies, or um, I think Lifeline who can revive your teammates, I think she's free. Um, those are still like valued characters and like they're still really good to play as those two. Um, there are obviously very good characters behind the paywall or the play enough to get the in-game currency to then pay wall, right? So I, I guess in, with that being most of my experience, I feel kind of okay about it on paper. Um, there isn't like a really obvious Apex character you should pay for, I feel like, which is good. But I, if there was one, I could see it being very annoying, especially for a new player who then immediately feels that pressure to buy the character. If they Google or go to YouTube, it's like, what do I do to improve in this game? And the answer is, play as this OP character, basically. Mm -hmm. Bro, just play as Cloud. Cloud? So, Cloud? Like from yeah, Final like that, that's that's what I heard a lot in a uh, Smash Four. Oh, oh right. Smash! I thought you meant Apex yeah. or Valorant. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah no. Uh, my favorite character <laughs> in uh in Apex, Cloud Strife. Yeah, yeah. I play as him. So just briefly to close it out here before we go on to our, our Patreon questions here, uh, game publishers have sort of a commercial interest that uh, impacts the competitive integrity of games from pay to win mechanics that you've mentioned to the cheating incidents that you've mentioned with regards to leaderboards. So how do you think that publishers can align their commercial interests with the preservation of competitive integrity in games? And how do publishers influence that competition in games? What responsibilities do they have towards promoting fair competition? And I think with this, let's go through and, and we'll start with you, Chris. And I was thinking of how good Brody's answer to this would be, and I wasn't thinking of my own. <laughs> um, in an ideal world the game comes out and is immediately fun and has a long life ahead of it and everything's balanced and great and it's interesting to watch and interesting to play and everyone's just hunky-dory and there's competitions and everyone pays into a pot for the winners and blah 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 and it goes great obviously that is very often not the case if ever the case so you have a constant string of games being adjusted and tweaked sometimes weekly to keep things interesting or fair or to try and even shift the balance i imagine um it's i i i feel like for the most part the responsibility is of course on the publisher or the developer i guess well, the publisher is a separate thing from that isn't it yeah because they would have their own interests this is a complicated question more <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I agree. I think it is complicated. Yeah. I said at the beginning here, I don't think any of these have any good answers. Yeah. Right. And I don't think that we have the answers that, that are perfect for any of these questions either, uh, because each case is different. It varies dependent on the situation. And that situation is uh, usually very highly dependent on what's happened, right? Like how many people are playing it? Because I tell you, if you've got 12 players versus 12 million players, the, the way that you're going to handle that is going to be very, very different. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's a whole different thing based off of a lot of different factors. But I'm curious. 
right? You know, how how do you feel about the responsibilities of this? So, Brody, it seems that everybody's just baiting their, you know, bated breath, waiting with bated breath to hear what you have to say about <laughs> this. What do you have to say about this? Do you think things? Let's find out. Uh, I think every character should take Do you think things, hours. Brody? <laughs> I think every character should take 80 hours to unlock to give you a sense of pride and accomplishment. Okay, I'm Whoa, to I love Battlefront 2! Yeah, right? No, it's like, just avoid avoid pay-to-win mechanics. Um, I I mean, like, I, I really don't... The, the, thing that, the thing that I think is my, my biggest pet peeve in this is when, uh, like we've discussed before, balancing to the competitive side, or not even the competitive side, but balancing to the high, the highest tier players, and then leaving, you know, the casual players, leaving the, the bulk of people playing your game in the dust, uh, because, you know, the game's now, it's it's not for them, it's to generate revenue, and uh, capitalism and art and all that, blah, 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 but like... We mentioned just, Overwatch, which felt like a really good example of that, where... I wouldn't say it had the tools to be an incubation period or incubation sort of method for people to get to pro, but it sure felt like they wanted you to think about pro Overwatch when playing Overwatch and not so much. I am here to have a good time tonight in yeah. a weird way. Yeah, exactly. And like, it's it's one thing, I guess, when you have one of these games that's meant to be played five straight, it's going to get a bunch of changes and and by the time you know the fifth year rolls around it's not even recognizable as the game that you bought anymore um it's another thing entirely when you have a game that is meant to be almost just like almost just a fun party game to play with friends which not to say that you know assassin's creed brotherhood multiplayer was that or uncharted 2 multiplayer or whatever but i I just, you know, I just missed the time when multiplayer had to only be entertaining for 2 months and then you moved on to the next thing because you didn't have to worry about any of this stuff. You didn't have to be like, oh, is it competitively viable? Can I get good? It's like, no, just just play with your friends. Have a good time. Move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. You know, just 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 be cool about it. Don't don't be like a, a, a fucking weirdo. The Assassin's Creed one is a great example because the short amount of time I did get to experience that I was never worried about anything more than am I having fun right now playing this, which was a very good feeling. I missed that multiplayer. I'm sure if it came back today, even if it came back exactly as it was, I'd be like, oh, okay. And then like a week later, I'd never think about it again, which it, you know, maybe goes against your point a little bit in the sense of why should anyone bother for something that short well, of duration? It, it, but damn it, it was fun. <laughs> so I'm it's with interesting. You. It's interesting you bring that up because um, uh, on, on Xbox, uh, all of the old Call of Duty servers have recently been turned back online. And it's... Black Ops has seen a higher concurrent player count than it's ever had. Um, so ever, people ever. are back. Yeah, yeah, ever, ever. At least that's what mm -hmm. I what I've heard. Um, like that game is is being played. I'm sure it'll I'm sure it'll drop off. Like it's a World of Warcraft classic situation. Like everyone's going to go in for the novelty of it coming mm -hmm. back, and it'll have a drop off. It'll it'll plateau and then go down. But like, it's insane to think of people just being like, I want to play that one game from you know my childhood or whenever it is like i want to play that one again um i don't know that that would necessarily happen if you bring back like assassin's creed brotherhood or uncharted 2 because those games were just made to to kind of be fun for a moment and not you know monetize the hell out of it. like if you look at uncharted specifically the multiplayer from two to three to four 
once you get for in two you had like a couple DLC packs of like oh play as Cole McGrath and then in three it was like this more microtransaction monetization almost as we know it today with like you know customize your character buy clothing and stuff and then once you get to four uh there's just straight up pay to win mechanics in that of like have a like a damage booster for the match and you can pay for it or whatever and it's literally like oh that's that's just gross Mm. um i think the biggest the most interesting thing about it uh when you don't when you can just make attacked on multiplayer and i know that was a big complaint in the day of why are they focusing on single player why are they putting multiplayer in the game or whatever but it's like <laughs> you get these really cool experimental ideas that you wouldn't see in a game that's trying to appeal to a mass audience for a long period of time you get like oh you know this is assassin's creed multiplayer it's about stealth like you're not it's not about like being the offensive guy it's not about like appealing to those cod gamers or whatever and it's not something that we see as much of anymore outside of like i think ea put out two games that uh knockout city which is like this competitive not competitive but like this this like multiplayer dodgeball game that was really cool and it lasted for like a year and a half or something and then they they shuttered it uh and one that came out before it which might still be online uh which is called rocket arena which was this little like i don't know like 20 dollar game i think i got it free from ps plus and me and my friends hopped on and it was something I'd never seen before, which was almost this like Smash Bro, like this 3D, 3v3 shooter with like Smash Bros percentage mechanics, um, you know, and had like hero. It was like a hero shooter technically, but like it was really fun. Uh, and we played it for, for like a good like few months before we just f- kind of fell off because we were like, OK, let's do something else. Mm. I would go back to that game. I would 100 percent go back to that game because that was just like wow, this is something new. This is something I haven't seen before. This is not just trying to be every other multiplayer game because, you know, it had monetization. It had that, you know, kind of thing to it, but they knew that it was a smaller scale game. They knew it wasn't going to make enough money. So it was allowed to be different. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. The the sort of ephemeral transitory nature of experience which is hard to preserve and if you want to hear more about our thoughts on game preservation you can go watch can video games really be preserved on our youtube which is at crub official which is also where you can find us everywhere like tiktok and the likes except of course for twitch where we are at crub underscore official trav do you have any closing thoughts on game publishers and competition um Yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> I think skill ceiling, cool. Uh, when not very high, I don't know. I I like maybe. leaderboards. I didn't get to talk about leaderboards. I think leaderboards <laughs> with friends is the best way to play Half Life Two. I understand that's it. that. I, that's all I got. I don't know. I, 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 I didn't even played, know there were I, leaderboards I, I fucked too. around. There aren't. I fucked around oh. with uh, the ultra kill leaderboards for a while because it'll show you all your friends' times. Mm-hmm. But, like, not public unless you choose to enable it. That was oh. fun. Like, that's you know, Because yeah. that's a game with a, you know, easy to learn, hard to master sort of thing. And for those kind of games, I, uh, I can appreciate it. So I, I think that companies need to learn that easy to play hard to master fun competition 
That's all I got. I don't know. I'm tired. Very good. I actually tend to agree with you there uh, for what it's worth, Trev. I think that um, the the golden holy grail, right, the golden egg of it is to have a game where you get better as you play it and you are playing against people who are getting better or are better than you and you can eventually become really good at this game without having this sort of artificial uh, uh, roadblock between you and that skill, whether that be paid content that is blocking you from doing it or whether it be uh, artificial things like the, um, I mentioned the COD kill streaks. I, I just don't think that that's particularly whatever. But I think also it needs to be without this sort of pressure from the game uh, to be professional, because I think mm-hmm. that, that changes the the way that you do uh, approach the game. As you mentioned, Chris, you know, constantly saying, oh, you need to be playing Overwatch to be into the Overwatch League. That is the end game of this game, is to eventually become a professional player. <coughs> yeah, to the point where that, it almost feels like there should have been a mode or separate Overwatch application that was like tourney training or something that would actually try to communicate some of these high level ideas to you and current meta things to you. And obviously that's probably yeah. horrible to implement, so it wouldn't happen. But it was just a weird disconnect where it didn't feel like there was the Overwatch for fun section. Yeah. So I'm going to leave you guys in the audience with this as a question to think about. What might be the future of leaderboards in gaming? What do you expect to see as far as features? What do you expect to see in the next video game? We've already seen that it's moved up and sort of become more dynamic, but that's my question for you. I have a question for us that comes from Patreon, which you can go ahead and submit your question now at patreon.com slash crub official. Just crub. We got crub on Patreon. And just crub. You can go to crub.org. If you'd like to find or or subscribe or any of those things, and all of our information is there. Uh, it's also where you can find this on any of the platforms that we're on uh, audio-wise. And one of the questions that we got, which is relevant, interestingly, <laughs> uh, overall thoughts and opinions on Wumpa League by Cra- or Crash Team Rumble by Tabriz. Bro, why did they make that game? <laughs> I think we should start here with Brody, uh, mm. because I feel like his opinions are going to be opinions. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they were that to be honest with you. I, I mean, I guess some executive was like, well, you know, we successfully monetized uh, Crash Team Racing after a month. You know, we snuck it in <laughs> and we got a lot of money. Uh, let's... We need another thing like that. We need something to, to get the... We have these IPs. Let's let's do something with them. We have the models, whatever. Let's let's make a MOBA. Um, I really don't know who they thought it was going to appeal to, especially at a, like, $30, $40 price tag. Who who bought? Who bought that game? I didn't buy that game. Who bought that game? I'm a, I like Crash. I might even... If that, was, if that game was free to play, I might give it a chance just because I want to see... You know, an experimental new kind of multiplayer game. Like, I like that. I don't like the idea of it. I don't like the idea of one of my favorite IPs uh, turning into this this cash cow soulless thing. But shit, I'd give it a try. I'm not I'm not paying $40. I'm not doing that, though. Well, like, Brody, what if I told you that it's $30, but for $40, you got the first two battle passes included? 
The first two. My apologies. I, I'm coming at this from a Canadian perspective. It's 40 here. Oh, uh, okay. Well, if it was 40 Canadian dollars, you get the game. But if it was 80 Canadian dollars, you get the first two <laughs> battle passes. Uh, included uh, for free, basically. That's like... Great I best don't value. I don't know what to say. Is it a MOBA? Like, is that what it is? I still don't understand. I don't I'm know. still figuring it out, too. I'm trying to figure out how malleable the definition of MOBA is, but it is at least an <laughs> online competitive team-based game where you are trying to get more points than your opponent and you can knock it points is, out it of your opponent. It is a MOBA. It is, it is Crash Bandicoot League of Legends. That's sad. Gotcha. Because every, every genre is valid except for this. Because I wasn't Correct. sure if MOBA had to have creeps and lanes or There's what only the... one MOBA I've ever enjoyed and it was Awesome Nuts. Okay, okay. So, Trav, are you not excited then for Wumpa League? No. Oh, it's, it's already out. I'm not, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to touch it. I'm not even, yeah. well, no, I am a Crash Bandicoot fan. I'm not even Crash Bandicoot. I don't care. It's just a fucking P2P Crash Bandicoot? Why? Why? Mm. I played the beta. I don't know. I don't have any. I don't have any complex thoughts about it. It's just, it's not for me, so I haven't been paying close attention to it. Sorry, Chris, you played the game? I played the beta for Ooh. approximately 20 Why didn't we minutes. start with you? <laughs> because uh, he played the game. <laughs> yeah, I, I was the one who touched the poop. I didn't like it. I didn't think it was very fun. I didn't think it felt good to control. I did not want to play the game more after playing that. I could have, and I chose not to after trying a few different characters and a couple of the stages that were available. Uh, when it goes free to play in like three weeks, probably at this rate, I'll play it. I know some people are having fun with it. I wish I was one of them, I guess. But, you know, in a world where Activision Blizzard hands me this game free to play and I don't have to give them money for it, uh, I'll probably play another 20 minutes just to see if it like improved. I know there's early access sticky TNT starting in August. You can what get early You can get early access to one of the power-up items. And... In a way, that kind of sums up my thoughts on it, I think. Yes. So there you go to Breeze and other Crubscribers. Thank you very much for sending in your questions. If you'd like to send in a question, guess what? We have a special going on right now. It's our founder tier Ooh. for only $5, which will be equal to a much higher tier later on. We haven't quite decided how many hundreds of dollars we want to charge for that tier that the founder tier will be worth. But I promise you, we will make a decision on it. It may be zero hundreds. It may be many hundreds. That's a hell of a way to sell that. Well, it might be like $900. So $5 is a great deal. <laughs> $5 oh, is a great deal. Let me tell you. And you can do that right now at patreon.com slash crub. And uh, other than that, it's been a wonderful time talking to everybody. Chris, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, I. This reminds me how much I like to cozy up in a dark, cold room by myself and just focus on playing a game by myself, mostly. Trav, so any true. final thoughts? Um, I, it's made me a little bit nostalgic for playing some competitive games back in my teenage heyday. But, uh, hmm. I mean, hey, maybe I might go revisit Counter-Strike or something. Uh, I mean, uh -huh. Counter-Strike 2, definitely I plan on revisiting it then, so. Um, for me, my final thought is the game I was okay. thinking of was Painkiller. Painkiller. Yes. And Brody, any final thoughts? Play Rocket Arena. It's underrated. It's pretty good. Uh, that's it. All right. And since we don't really have an outro yet, um, <laughs> Crub on? C Crub on, everybody. Crub on. 
Bye. Bye.